This is the Becoming Educated podcast. Our mission is to inform educators, challenge their thinking, and inspire them to teach with joy. Joining me on the Becoming Educated podcast today is Sarah Larson. Sarah has been a geography teacher in and around Greater London for 23 years. Prior to having her first child, she led the geography department in her current school. She is passionate about being research informed, and in 2018, she was one of 13 teachers who carried out research for UCL and Ross McGill's Verbal Feedback Project. She has spoken at several educational events about the merits of verbal feedback, including Research Ed Surrey and TM Geog Icons. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, that's okay. Thank you for having me. Uh, pleasure is all mine. So just to kick us off today, Sarah, can you give us a, a pot history of, of you and your career to date, please? I can. So I've been teaching for 23 years now. Um, 20 years of that have been at Rygate School down in Surrey. Um, I've, For the most part, I've just been uh, a class teacher of geography. I did do a brief stint as head of department before I had my first child nearly 16 years ago. Um, prior to that, I did a couple of years in East London in a school in Dagenham, and before that, I did one year in a school in Chislehurst, um, down in um, London Borough of Bromley. Um, I've got two children who are uh, 12 and nearly 16 now, so kind of fully immersed in what it's like to be a parent of secondary school children, not just a teacher of one. Um, and that's where I'm at right now, really. Brilliant. It's great that you've spent so long in one school and experienced experienced a bit of middle leadership as well. And I suppose you can really, really get to know the, the children and young people in the school over, over such, a, such a large amount of time. So I mentioned in, in the introduction that you were part of, of a verbal feedback project and you talk about the merits of verbal feedback quite a lot. Can you share, share when and why you first started using verbal feedback in your classroom? So I think the story starts back in um, the start of 2018, kind of January 2018. Um, it kind of coincided with me joining Twitter and getting involved in conversations um, and noticing that people were starting to talk about the move away from written marking and towards verbal feedback. Um, and it coincided with my SLT um, looking uh, at moving towards verbal feedback and away from written marking but at the time they didn't quite know what it could look like in the school so um, so that that's kind of how I, I first started using it as um, a way of experimenting with different ways of giving feedback more immediate feedback getting involved in conversations that were making me quite aware that written marking wasn't the the most effective way of moving students forward and getting them thinking so it's kind of those two events really that that took place at, at roughly the same time. Certainly, and, and like what you said there about written marking not being the most effective. So we're gonna, gonna unpick some of that as, as, as we go through and, and share some of the strategies. Because as I said to you off I, I, I read your teacher spotlight in, in Michael Childs' craft of assessment. And you shared there that that change of thinking was around about the same time as your school moving away from written marking. But you also written, wrote in Michael's book that Around that time, you came across a whole class feedback sheet on Twitter. How did the whole class feedback sheet change your practice? So, yes, that was the first method of verbal feedback that I um, started to use, just quite simply because I'd come across it on Twitter. Um, it was actually Victoria Hewitt, who's at Mrs. Humanities on um, 
on Twitter who um, had created this sheet with various different sections on it for um, giving feedback. So what students had done well, what um, their misconceptions were, um, ways in which they could improve, but just writing the improvement comment out once on the sheet and then putting a little code. So I put hashtag one, hashtag two, and then next to each of those on the sheet, I'll write a comment for improvement. And then all that the students have on their uh, books on their work is uh, the code. So it saves me writing the improvement content comment out potentially 30 times. Um, so that was the first method that I trialed and my um, uh, assistant head who's in charge of teaching and learning who was kind of tasked with looking at moving Rygate away from written marking gave me permission uh, to trial it as did my um, then acting head of department. Um, and it just basically um, was a way that we can, I will kind of unpick it um, further going forward, but it was, it, it instantly allowed me to see that the students were being made to think hard about um, how they had to move forward rather than passively reading my comments, not acting upon them, not being given time to act upon them. Um, this method for certain pieces of work, it wasn't for all pieces of work, but just for certain pieces of work. So for example, in geography, if they'd done a homework or a longer piece of written work, that was what I then started to use rather than taking their books in and laboriously potentially writing the same thing. 30 times over because by and large in geography there's only a finite number of things that they need to do to improve and it was just a real time saver as well it really cut my workload instantly. Jeff I like what you said that just to finish there about that cut of workload and I like your idea of the hashtag and, and one hashtag two and instead of writing the same comment in, in 25 out of 30 books you can write it once and show the, show the kids there so you unpicked a little bit there but what are the, the key ideas behind whole, whole class feedback and what should teachers do to, to really get the most out of it? So do you, do you want me to talk about just whole class feedback or verbal feedback in general with this answer? Uh, whole class feedback, please. Okay, so whole class feedback um, is one method of verbal feedback. Um, so it's not as in the moment as other methods that um, I can talk about a bit later on, but um, the key idea with any form of verbal feedback is to get the students thinking hard about what they need to do to improve. And as with anything, whether it's deliberate practice or during the instruction phase, um, my main focus now is to get the students thinking hard about what it is that they need to be doing at any given moment in time. So for whole class feedback, they've got their codes on their work that it's taken me uh, a very short amount of time to write down uh, for them. Um, and I will go through one by one um, on an uploaded version of the verbal feedback sheet on the board or just under the visualizer, which is even quicker now. Um, I will go through what each hashtag actually means, what each comment um, on my verbal feedback sheet means. I might model something under the visualizer as well to show them what that would look like and show and model the thinking behind that improvement. Um, so it wouldn't just be the case that I put the feedback sheet under the visualizer and I say, right, there's your improvements, off you go, because that's effectively doing the same thing as I did when I when I wrote it in their books. So it's all about making them think hard about what they need to do to improve because, um, and it is my favorite quote in education, as Daniel Willingham says, um, memory is the residue of thought. So anything that they're made to think hard about is more likely to stick for future attempts at similar pieces of work. So it's not just about improving that piece of work, it's about improving them as geographers so that next time they do a similar task, they can do so with improved outcomes. Certainly, and I like what you said there in terms of 
let making them making them think hard. And I like what also what you said there about not just writing it and putting it under under the visualizer and saying that's similar to what you wrote in books. It's instead tasking them the student to do a little bit of work with with that feedback. So we mentioned at the, at, in the intro there that you were involved in, in UCL and Ross McGill's verbal feedback project. How did you get involved in the verbal feedback project and, and what did you find? So again, it was my um, assistant head, Richie Emerson, oh, better name him, um, who's still with us. Um, so he's in charge of teaching and learning and, and CPD within the school. Um, so he, was, he's, he has overseen, I guess, our move from um, written marking to verbal feedback. Um, and I actually can't remember if it was me or him that saw it on Twitter. It might have been me, but I don't want to claim all the credit. Um, and I think I just mentioned it in passing that I'd seen Ross tweet about this um, idea, this project that he wanted to, to set up. Um, and I mentioned it in passing to Richie and literally before I'd finished the sentence, he said, right, we're doing that. We're applying for that. So um, I said, well, we've, we've got to apply. There's an application process. So, you know, let's apply. Let's see what happens. Um, and for whatever reason, Ross decided he wanted Rygate School on board. So it was myself and another colleague, um, Michelle Marshall, who I presented with a few times at various events, including Research Ed Surrey. Um, we were given the job of um, going up to UCL. Um, I can't think how many sessions there were, six, seven, eight sessions. I think in total across 2018, 2019, that academic year. Um, and basically what Ross wanted to do was he wanted um, teachers, colleagues to trial various different um, verbal feedback methods in their classroom. Um, and just to keep a diary, start collecting evidence as to what effects, whether positive or negative, um, the use of verbal feedback as opposed to written marking was having on students. And we kind of, we took quite a while to come up with our, our, our hypothesis. Um, and in the end, we came up with, and I'll try and get the exact wording, um, that written, uh, sorry, uh, verbal feedback uh, for um, lower prior attaining students or more vulnerable students, I think it was, um, has no um, impact on um, outcomes. No, we didn't use the word outcomes in the end, on engagement. We were going to use outcomes. We decided because we were all different schools, that was harder to compare. So we went with engagement. And then we, we spent a bit of time kind of getting to grips with what we meant by engagement. So it was verbal comments, nonverbal comments, overheard comments. Um, enthusiasm within the lesson, particularly with, um, you know, vulnerable students, uh, pupil premium students, lower prior retaining students. Um, and each of us picked four students to keep a particular eye on and just see what the impact was on them and what was being produced in their book, but also, you know, engagement within the lesson. Um, and so the outcome after a year um, and the report is online, if you go to um, Ross's uh, website, Teacher Toolkit website is there and you can read the report, uh, UCL uh, report. Um, the outcome was that there was no detrimental effect on, um, on pupil engagement and on outcomes. Um, so it was only a very small scale study. There was only seven schools involved and 13 teachers. Um, so it's not meant to be, you know, a huge sample size or the most definitive uh, piece of evidence ever, but it was intended to kind of get the ball rolling start a conversation at the point in time of um being involved in the project there was very little else out there if anything um about either written marking or certainly research as to the effects of verbal feedback so i think we were one of the first albeit on a small scale just to start that conversation and you know that was 18 months ago or so now and i think i think the ball is well and truly rolling now 
No, certainly. You see a lot of, of especially for this idea of whole class feedback sheets like you found on Twitter. We see a lot of that now. Um, in terms of, of your experience within, within that, that project, you said there that there was no detriment on engagement or outcomes. Did you see an improvement, especially with the, with the lower attaining and the, the pupil premium students? Did you see... Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, so no, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say in some cases, yes, we absolutely did. We didn't feel that we saw enough of a, an improvement across the board in all of our chosen students that we were kind of monitoring to be able to say um, at this point in time with the methods that we use that it is better as such than written marking, although actually I do believe it is. But just in, in terms of the, the ways in which we carried out our research, um, certainly to be able to say there was no detrimental effect on, um, on student engagement, I think is massive. Um, but the other major outcome, of course, not just in terms of um, the students, was that it drastically cut all of our workload. Um, so I think actually that needs to be borne in mind as, as much as the outcomes for students, because if you've got teachers that have got a reduced workload, you know, they're not going out partying every night as a result or getting to bed super early. They're doing something else with that time normally, aren't they? They're, they're, I mean, for example, for me, what it's freed me up to be able to do is to plan model answers that I can um, model under a visualizer for my students or, you know, do the whole, whole class feedback sheet or plan for better questioning. So I'm using that time for something else more productive that I feel actually makes a difference to my students. Certainly, I like what you said there about, about replacing that marking time and using that time to, to enrich your lessons with, with model answers and with, with um, really well-planned, thought-out explanations and so on. So thank you for mentioning that. We're now going to go and look at some of the other verbal feedback that you use within your classrooms. And, and, and you've mentioned quite a few times about um, using a visualizer um, can you share, to start off with, your process for live marking under the visualizer? Okay, this is probably my favorite method of verbal feedback um, for a variety of reasons. Um, and I hate <laughs> the fact that um, sometimes um, the kids love it is given as the main reason for doing something in lessons because sometimes the kids may well be loving something but it's doing nothing for their learning. But in this instance, the kids actually really do love it. And I've only in kind of two and a half years now of um, um, asking students if I can have their book to place under the visualizer and I'll talk through how I do it in a second but I've only ever had one student ever say I'd, I'd rather you didn't miss thank you can you ask somebody else um, and actually I do recall one particular student as part of the verbal feedback project um, with Ross and UCL um, one of my lower prior attaining difficult to reach pupil premium students um, saying because she knew it was coming because um, that's kind of how I do things in my lesson now saying Miss, can you use mine? Can you put my book under today, please? And that was before I'd even said anything to the class about it being that point in time in the lesson to do that. Um, but in terms of how I do it with my um, with my visualizer, I will take a student's book, um, um, not necessarily somebody who's who's done an amazing answer. In, in fact, it's more useful if they've got various bits that need improving. Um, I'll place it under the visualizer and I'll get all the students to put their pens down and to be looking at only the board because of course what, what they're being made to think hard about and what their attention is on is, is of paramount importance. And I will literally go through and mark it in the same way that I might do um, at home or I was doing at home. Um, picking out what's good but also making my improvements and kind of verbally commenting on why I'm making those improvements and then I would um, give the students kind of five ten minutes to make their own improvements 
but of course the key idea is that they've got to think about what they want to improve rather than me going well you need to do that you need to do that because then again that's passive um, so I would use it for, for that method, but also just using my visualizer when um, instructing. So things like in the geography classroom, it's been invaluable. I was doing it today, in fact, six figure grid references, for example, same copy of the map that they've got in front of them and literally being able to show them exactly how to do that skill on the same um, resource that they've got in front of them makes all the difference to their understanding. I mean, beforehand, I would have students not understanding it, asking me to come over, which of course at the moment I can't. Um, so it just makes for a calmer classroom because I'm able to use that visualizer to explain things, um, to use for dual coding. I'm a big fan of, of Adam Boxer and I loved the video that he did during lockdown on Research at Home, um, where he literally just showed us how he um, uses his visualizer and a pen and a piece of paper to um, perform amazing explanations step by step using dual coding. Um, and of course with the visualizer, you're facing your students, you haven't got your back to them because some teachers will just say, well, just do it on your whiteboard, what's the difference? But um, whiteboards have to be wiped because you run out of space, whereas what you've done under the visualizer, I do it in a book now so I can keep that book and I've got it as a record um, for what we've done in previous lessons or if I need to use it again for whatever reason in subsequent lessons, I've still got that diagram. Um, so it has absolutely changed my teaching practice. If somebody said to me, you can't have this thing anymore, I would be devastated because I, I, um, I, I use it most lessons now for so many things. Certainly, so you, you've kind of answered the next question oh, sorry. Wonder, <laughs> wonderfully well, but it's very clear that, that, you, that you, you write in your blog that the visualizer is your favorite teaching aid. Can I ask then to, to unpick that a little bit, little bit further? During your life, marking and during your 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 explanations under the under the visual visualizer, how are you involving the the, the students in that process? Um, during the live marking process, in particular. Yes. Okay, so I most of the time I would tell them to put their pens down, have nothing in their hands, and be entirely focused on the board, and to be watching me. Um, mark the, the work but having said that a lot of the time I might ask for their input so I might so for example recently um, my year eight did a piece of work um, about anti-cyclones and depression so two different weather systems um, and for each of those pieces of work I took a student's uh, book I placed it under the visualizer um, and I read each sentence through in turn and I would say to the students right what was good about that sentence what could they have added to have made it more detailed and of course what's again crucial is that I go with the no hands up option um, so that I've got everybody thinking I'll give them a bit of thinking time so I might say to them what was good about that sentence you've got 20 seconds to prepare an answer or what could be improved or what have they not quite included that would make this answer more detailed again 10 20 seconds to prepare an answer and then I'll, I'll choose somebody um so yeah some of the time I might do it um with them just watching me um but a lot of the time I do like to involve them and I like to question them as I go and just get them thinking because all the time they're thinking about what's good about that piece of work that's helping them to then transfer that thinking to their piece of work when it comes to them improving it so no, absolutely. I, I would always try and involve the students in some way, even if it's just thinking, but a lot of the time contributing as well. that's thank you. And I love that the common threads through all the, the strategies that you're discussing in terms of the pupils always thinking and always having to think hard and then, excuse me, applying what they're, what they're thinking about to, to their work and improving, improving upon their work. So thank you.
So we've spoken about whole class feedback, we've spoken about live marking, we've spoken a little bit about exp explaining and using your visualizer for, for dual coding. Can I ask how you use verbal feedback when, when students are undertaking some independent practice or independent work? Um, so in a few ways, really, I guess, um, I mean, under normal conditions, I would always be circulating around the room while students are working. I can't, uh, apart from the, the science labs where some of my classes are, because we're, we're going to them at the moment, not, not them coming to us. And they are, and I'm in the drama studio with one class. So they are massive rooms. So I can go around the edges at least. But normally, under normal circumstances, I'd be circulating up and down the aisles and, and just kind of having a look at what the students are writing. Um, if I realise that I'm seeing the same errors repeatedly um, amongst several students, I would stop the class, go back to the front, put pens down, um, correct that common error. Um, so last year I remember teaching about different types of employment um, and they had to write down definitions of primary industry and secondary industry. And secondary industry kind of has two elements to it. And I'd gone through it and I'd, I'd put images on the board, but I saw a lot of students that had only included one part of the uh, of the definition. So I, rather than repeatedly saying to each of those students, don't forget you need to include that bit as well. I thought, right, let's, let's just stop what we're doing, go back a, a step and just make sure we've really understood this definition of secondary industry so that they can do this properly in their book. Um, because otherwise you're wasting time and at, at some point you have to make that change and make that amendment. And um, in the past, I possibly would have done that two weeks later when I took their books in and they've moved forward with their learning. But with verbal feedback, it allows you to catch those students in the moment um, when they're thinking hard again about what that definition was in this case um, and to make that correction in, in instantly so that you can build on that learning um, going forward at that moment in time. Um, Modelling as well, um, immediately prior to um, students undertaking um, their independent practice. So for example, if I've, if I've taught them some new content, I then want them to do something with it in the application stage of the lesson. I might use my visualizer um, or, or the board or, or some form of verbal um, kind of guidance at least to show them a sentence starter or a little more if they're a bit non, more novice at what they're doing. And certainly afterwards as well, a bit of verbal feedback straight after a task, whether it be live marking, um, or just me modeling something under the visualizer. So it just allows me to give that feedback um, much more in the moment. I know that whole class feedback sheets don't necessarily allow you to do that, um, but it's still better than, than the traditional form of doing it. But just so much more in the moment, catching that thought process. Um, I love the quote from Jeremy Hannay, head teacher of um, Three Bridges School in uh, Southall. He says um, along these lines that, um, PE teacher, if they catch them holding the uh, rounders back incorrectly, they don't wait two weeks to tell them, they tell them there and then. So I, I don't see why me and my geography classroom, why I should be doing things any differently. I just love that analogy that why wouldn't you tell the students straight away that they've done something wrong? Why, why did we ever wait two weeks to take books in it and do it that way? It seemed nonsense, seems nonsensical now, really. Well, certainly when you put it like that to a physical educator, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> So before we move on to the final couple of questions, is there any verbal feedback strategies that we haven't unpicked that you would like to share? Um, I know Michelle in her maths classes, Michelle Marshall that I spoke about at the start, who I've presented with quite a few times and many people will know, um, she's a maths teacher. So obviously her lessons are a little bit different to mine. Um, 
and I know when she circulates, she likes to do, um, I think what she calls dot marking. So she might have a look at a piece of work that a student's doing and she can see that they've made a mistake, but rather than pointing it out, or even rather than going to the front, if a few of them have made it, like I might do, she'll put a little, little dot in the margin and she'll say, just have a look at that question. And then she'll walk away and then she'll come back a few minutes later. Um, and again, it's made the students think, it's made them kind of think, well, okay, I've done something wrong here, but Miss isn't just gonna tell me what it is because that's, that's too easy, that's too passive. Um, it's made them think about what they need to do. Um, but again, it's catching them in the moment and it's making them think. So it's, it's still that common theme, but it's, it's a different way of doing it. Um, I know Ross in his Mark Plan Teach book also talks about um, yellow box marking where, um, and it's similar to the whole class feedback sheet, because again, this would be more delayed marking, um, but just picking one specific piece of work and drawing that yellow box around it. And then again, class codes or some form of verbal feedback, but the students know it just applies to that one particular piece of work. Um, but I think, I think the best type of verbal feedback is in the moment. I know it can't always be with things like exam, you know, mock exams, uh, feedback for that, for example, and, and homework feedback. We can't always do it in the moment. Um, but by and large, if we can, I just think that's the best way to do it, really. No, certainly, certainly, I, I I agree I agree with that. And if I think of my own lessons as a as a physical educator, going back to your quote, there a lot of the verbal feedback that I use is is very in the moment. It's very at that at that time where they can make that instant change to to improve their performance. So thank you. Um, my next question for you, Sarah, is what are the barriers to teachers using verbal methods? as their main form of feedback to their students. So um, do you mean in terms of senior leaders within the school wanting to make that change or um, class teachers wanting to move away or which, which aspect? <laughs> Can we look at both? How do senior leaders stop teachers from using verbal, verbal feedbacks in their classroom and, and, and what are they kind of what causes a bit of apprehension for, for teachers using it? Isn't, yeah, because the very my very first blog post um, looked at this, actually. I just, you know, my school was making that move, but I was seeing so many other teachers on Twitter saying, oh, I wish my school would do this, or what could I do to, to do what you're doing in your school? And it just made me think, why? Why do, or why are there still, um, you know, leaders out there doing a great job, but reluctant to, to move forward? And I, and I think it's for a variety of reasons. I think it might be because they think that they might get complaints from parents. Um, because of course, parents once upon a time were school children themselves. And of course, when I was at school, it was all written marking. There was no visualizers or any of this um, business going on. So I guess they want to see what they expect to see. So a, a fear of upsetting parents. Um, the myth that Ofsted want to see written marking, which if you look at the new guidance um, put out or the new framework put out in 2019 and back in September of last year or initiated then, um, they very clearly say we do not expect to see any one form or frequency of feedback. So I know of plenty of people now that have gone through the inspection under the new framework with no written marking in books and it's been absolutely fine offset have been fine with it because they don't expect to see that written marking anymore they know that there's better methods out there um so i think there's those two aspects possibly schools not being in uh, fully engaged in the research movement like many schools now are starting to be and not realizing that actually if we look at cognitive science how can written marking be the best thing because it's too passive for the students it isn't making them think hard um so i think there's a whole range of reasons um but um you know some might apply to some schools more than others but in terms of individual teachers i've had conversations with 
teachers where they just don't want to move away from written marking because of that age old reason of, well, that's how we've always done it. And it's fine. And the students like to get the stickers and the smiley faces, but you know, you can verbally praise them. There's other ways of doing it. Look into the whites of their eyes, you know, let them see how pleased you are with their work, which actually I think is nicer than a, a written comment because it's that you're really engaging with your, with your class doing it that way. Um, Again, a lack of engagement or a lack of awareness of the research movement and not being aware now that teaching's got this link or this, this much stronger link with uh, the world of research. Um, so I think there's a range of reasons, um, but just gradually, I think we're getting there, but it, it's, it's a slow drip drip effect, I think, rather than a tsunami of change that we're seeing, but it's, we are getting there, slowly but surely. Definitely, so it takes a, a long time to, to turn a tanker around. And, and I like what you said there about, about letting the children see how pleased you are. Ra rather than just a, a, a written comment in their book and a, and a well done, letting them see the joy in your face as their teacher when, when, they're, get, when they're, they're getting it right and making it, making improvements and putting in their effort is rewarded for that. So thank you for mentioning that. Um, my final question in the, in the main interview section before we move into the, the final three, Sarah, is... If a teacher's listening to this in between the, their piles and piles of marking and wants to change their practice with regards to, to marking and use more verbal feedback strategies, what advice would you give for them? I think be realistic and don't expect to go and have a conversation with either your head of department or with a senior leader in your school and expect to change their views overnight if that's what uh, you're, you're looking to do. Um, I think if you've got a, a senior leadership team that are looking to make that move, as I did, that, that makes it easier because I almost went with, with an answer, not the answer, because there's a range of ways of doing this, but a, a specific way that we could... Uh, try out to, to get the ball rolling. So I think go and start that conversation or go and become part of that conversation if it's already uh, taking place in your school. But be realistic. Don't expect to work miracles overnight, but maybe go, go with a strategy in your hand rather than going and having that conversation and saying, look, this is not working. I think we should change it, but I have no idea how. Go with a strategy. And there's a whole range of um, books now um, we've got Michael's book and I think I think Michael's new book is out now isn't it the feedback pendulum I think is out or if it's not it's out very soon um, literally all about um, feedback um, so there's there's blog posts out there so possibly go armed with some evidence um, with some cognitive science as well or, or the verbal the whole class verbal feedback sheet as I did um, rather than just going and having that conversation and saying I don't like it. I don't want to do it. Go, go with a solution, which I think is always the best policy um, with any change that you want to affect in your school. Certainly. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of the interview section. Uh, and we're going to move on to, to what I call my final three. These are the questions that, that, that I ask every guest. And before we do that, can you please signpost listeners to where they can connect with you on social media and, of course, where they can read your blog? So my Twitter handle is just at Sarah Larson 74 and Larson is E-N, not O-N. Um, so at Sarah Larson 74 and my uh, blog is just simply um, Sarah Larson dot blog dot school. I don't actually know the full uh, address, but if you Google me, if you just put Sarah Larson blog or Sarah Larson WordPress, because it's a, a WordPress site that I use, um, then you'll find me. 
Certainly, thank you very much, and, and I thoroughly enjoyed reading some of your some of your posts in your blog and the, and the the enthusiasm and the love of of using a visualizer and, and sharing that using that to to share your passion of geography with the children it is wonderful to read. So I'd encourage listeners to go off and and read some of those posts. Um, so we're on the final three now, and my, my first question within that is is what book or text has had the biggest impact on your teaching career? I actually think it's the first one that I read and, and I've read so many and they're all brilliant. Absolutely. There's not one book that hasn't had a major impact on um, my teaching and on my um, desire to keep learning more. But the first one I read was Making Every Lesson Count by um, Sean Allison and Andy Tharby, who are based just down the road from me, actually, at Darrington uh, Research School um, in Worthing. Um, they break teaching down into, I think it's five or six different elements and they, and it's a real practical book. They're both teachers. Um, they, they're doing what they're writing about day in, day out. Sean's the head teacher, um, but Andy's an English teacher um, down at Darrington. Um, and it's just littered with practical examples of how cognitive science can be used to inform our, our practice and how we can in, how we can improve and it was just I think I read it in about a day and I'm not the world's fastest reader and I couldn't put it down because it just made so much sense it allowed me to take out the nonsense that I've been doing over the years that I was gradually realizing were ineffective you know jazzing up your lessons and making them fun in inverted commas um just stripping back my teaching and, and going back to the more common sense methods really and it's just so well written it reads really easily so um yeah i think if you're looking for a book or to get started re reading some of these edu books that are out there i definitely say go for that one but there's loads of subject specific ones now so mark entz has written the geography one um and i love his uh, teach like nobody's watching as well um so i must mention that because it's it's a great read there's an awful lot of good books out there so that was quite a tough question to to um answer there are lots of, lots of wonderful books and, and it's no surprise that Making Every Lesson Count appears again and again and again in the interviews I have with, with, with the guests of the podcast. Um, and I love what you said there about taking out the nonsense. That's a, that was a great notion. Um, the second question is, if you could give just one bit of advice to a teacher, what would that be? Um... I've actually, I'm, this year I've, I'm doing a new role along with my class teaching, which is I'm a subject tutor for our, our, our skit in our area for eye to eye partnership. And I, I keep saying to them, don't see this in this teacher training year, this ITT year as um, you by the end of it being the finished product and the perfect teacher. Because after 23 years, I am definitely not the finished product. But I like that. I like that aspect of my job that I'm always improving. Hopefully I'm always learning. I'm always trying new ideas or ditching ideas that don't work. Um, so I would say, you know, don't strive to be the perfect teacher except that you may well never get there, um, but you can always do more things just to tweak your practice or just to improve. Um, and I think, I think that way we can always keep moving forward in, in our profession. Certainly, I like that notion of, of relentless improvement because teaching teaches never done and two days are, are never the same and, and children are, no two children are alike. So there's a lot in there. So thank you very much. The final question for you, Sarah, is, what do you think most gets in the way of great teaching in our classrooms? 
I think there's a range of things because we all all of us want to be great teachers nobody turns up on a Monday morning to do a bad job or, or a mediocre job we all that's what we all want to do it's why we are teachers I think there's a range of things so some things that are out of our control so tick box cultures for whatever reason uh, um, still dominating in some schools so whether it be the fear of Ofsted or just an inertia and a, a lack of willingness to want to do things differently um, sometimes lack of tailored uh, subject specific CPD so you know the the old twilight CPD where everyone's being kind of taught the same thing or, or whatever it might be and and no real clear way or, or idea of how to implement what you've been shown um, after school on that in that particular session and people feeling a bit frustrated that um, they wanted to improve and they haven't really been shown anything that allows them to do that um, through that session lack of trust sometimes at various levels um, and teachers having these non-negotiables in their lessons where they've got to have these various elements in their lesson despite the fact that teachers feeling that they they don't need to have those elements and they can do a better job if they were just left to get on with it themselves um and i think also on an individual level there are some um teachers who are quite reluctant to want to change um but that doesn't mean to say that the <laughs> they can't be persuaded to but i think sometimes that that needs to be um kind of worked upon for for some people not and and you know i i would be reluctant to say people that have been teaching a long time are reluctant to change because i've been teaching 23 years and i'm i'm kind of chomping at the bit to continue changing and, and to learn new new methods but yeah so i think it's a combination of various things at various levels within the school but ultimately nobody comes to work to do a bad job we all want to be great teachers so um i think it's just gradually making those changes so we can get there Definitely. I think that's a wonderful note to finish on that, that no one comes to, to work to be to be a poor teacher. I mean, that's un, that's unthinkable. So, of course, everyone wants to be great. So we'll finish there. And, and I'd like to say thank you very, very much for, for giving up your time this evening to, to chat with me for the Becoming Educated podcast. I really appreciate that. That's OK. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Becoming Educated podcast. Until next time, teach with joy.